Have you ever thought about as you look back over your life that even though there's 24 hours in a day and there's seven days in a week and there's 52 weeks in a year and we're in constant motion all of those times and there's always something happening in our life all the time, at the end of the day, when you look back over your day or you look back over the month or you look back over the year, you don't remember every little thing you've done. And you probably did some really cool things that you forgot about. But when you look back, life is always remembered in moments. There's just power in moments. I mean, even special events, go back to the day you got married. No matter how hard you try, you don't remember every single thing that happened during your wedding ceremony. But the husband will remember a certain moment, probably the time that his wife walked down the aisle and he saw her for the first time. It's my favorite part of doing weddings. I love to see that moment. Maybe for the bride, it's something else. I don't know what it is because I'm not a bride. Think about when you used to go on vacation or you go on vacation now, you look back over your vacation and it's moments that you remember. There's just power in moments. I do events for a living and I do all day events that last eight hours and I do events that last two and a half hours and every time we're planning an event, every time we're getting ready to do something, I always tell our team, I said, what are going to be the moments from this event? They're not going to remember everything that happens in a two-and-a-half-hour show, but if they can leave here remembering a couple of moments, they'll remember the event. They're not going to remember everything that happens in eight hours, but if they can look back and remember a couple of moments, they'll remember the event. And moments can be good or moments can be bad. Think about when you and your spouse, I know this doesn't ever happen to you guys, but you and your spouse aren't getting along. And you're mad at your spouse. The only thing you're thinking about at that moment is all the bad things they've done to irritate you. You're thinking about the fact that he left the dishes in the sink, did not wash them off. Even though the dishwasher was empty, he could have put them in the dishwasher. You wouldn't have had to come into the kitchen and clean it. And now you're mad because of that moment, even though if you step back and think about it, he probably took out the trash that day and did this today and did that. There's probably 10 good things he did. Now, men are a little bit different. We always remember every good moment that our wife does and never remember the bad moments. So that doesn't really apply. But moments are just powerful. You go to a concert, you remember moments of the concert. Everything in our life is made up of moments and cherishing those moments. People are always like, life is so hard and life is this. No, life is made up of the moments that you choose to focus on. There's power in moments. And so for this month, we're just going to be looking at some of the aha moments found in this book. This is an amazing book. This is the Word of God. I believe with everything in me, it's filled with truth. I, I believe the principles to whatever you're dealing with in life can be found in here. 
But I got to be real honest with you. Someone who's read this book from cover to cover probably 15 times in his life, there's some real boring moments in this book. But then there's some moments that are powerful. There's moments that change your life. I think that's one of the things that's so powerful about this book is for different people, it's different things. So moments that are powerful to me might not be powerful to you, but there's other moments that are powerful to you or at different times in your life, certain moments are powerful found in the Word of God. But there's a few moments that are just aha moments that literally shape the course of our life. 2019 in our teaching here at the church, we've spent a lot of time focused on personal transformation. We spent January talking about finances. We spent talking about discovering your purpose in life. We talked about last month how you deal with relationships. And I kind of want to talk to you this month about some of the aha moments from the Word of God that shape they say a congregation takes on the personality, or doesn't take on the personality of a pastor, but they say the congregation normally has the personality of the pastor. That's why they're drawn to the church. So I know you're going to hate this word because I despise this word. I rebel against this word. It's not my favorite word because it's just kind of that rebel in me, that kind of no one's going to tell me what to do type thing that is in me. But we're going to talk about some of the aha moments that talk about the responsibilities that you and I have as Christ followers. I, I hate that word, responsibility. In, in my mind, if I look at it through a negative lens, which is so many times how we look at things, I look at it as something I have to do even if I don't want to do it. Instead of looking at it and saying, man, I do this because I get to do this. Because God's entrusted me to do this. God had enough confidence in me to do this. And there's some things in this book that shape what we are to do and how we're to live as Christ followers. Next week we're going to be talking about a subject in the next week's Easter. There's no greater time to invite your unchurched friends, unchurched family members, your unchurched co-workers. There's two times a year they'll come to church. Christmas and Easter. I would encourage you to get them here that day. Invite them, at least invite them. Barna says that over 70% of the people you invite to church would attend church one time if they were simply invited. Today we're going to be talking about what I believe personally is one of the most powerful portions of Scripture found in all the Bible. I, I believe that this portion of Scripture is so powerful because I believe it's the sole reason God leaves us on this earth after we choose to follow Him. We're going to be talking about a subject today that I actually believe is the only thing on earth that you can do as a Christ follower that you can't do in heaven. Theologians refer to it as the Great Commission, I simply refer to it as sharing your faith 
with those who don't know God. It's not a subject anymore that's taught in church because we don't want to be confrontational. And I always get a kick at people, I, I don't want to push my religion down people's throat. And we don't ever want to push our religion down people's throat. But first of all, if you have a religion, you have an issue. We don't have a religion here. We have a relationship with the creator of the universe who loved us so much. And all around us are people, and I'm going to get a little bit old school today, but all around us are people, because here's the deal. We believe there's a place called heaven for those who've put their trust in Christ. And because we believe there's a place called heaven, we believe there's a place called hell for those who have rejected Christ. We believe the Bible says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. We believe the only way to heaven is through Jesus. And as such, we have a responsibility to tell others about Christ. Now, that being said, I didn't say we have a responsibility to shove it down their throat. We can't force somebody to accept our beliefs. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But at the end of the day, we have been left on this earth to share our faith. I'm going to get ahead of myself. Hold on now. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I get driven crazy. I I don't like to talk about my faith. Oh, okay. Why? Well, it just offends people. Oh, but you'll talk politics. You'll talk about your thoughts on all the social issues out there. You'll talk to everybody as grown adults bragging about how drunk you got this weekend and who you hooked up with this weekend like you're still in high school. You'll tell everybody your business about your marriage. We don't want to talk about religion. We don't want to talk about our faith. We don't want to talk about our relationship. The problem is this. You just can't get away from it in the Bible. The last words that people speak to you are normally pretty poignant words that you want to remember. And one of the last words that Jesus ever spoke to his disciples are found in Matthew 28, and the Bible says this. Then the 11 disciples, this is after Jesus. We'll get to that in a minute. I'll, I'll give you the context here in a minute. Then the 11, notice there's only 11. That's the context of where we are. There's no longer 12. Went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's clarifying who he is. He says, therefore, because who I am, I'm the son of God, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, to the very end of the moment, or very end of the age, excuse me. Let me give you the context of the moment. Jesus has lived on earth 33 years. At the age of 30... He enters into full-time ministry. That's the moment that we're at. He is crucified. He hangs on a cross. He dies for the sins of the world. 
Xander, who's running the screen back there? Are they awake today? Are they following with me? Are they tracking with me? Good deal. I'm tired today. I get tired. I get edgy. Xander, well, Daddy got festivals, man. You ought to be back there. You know, I don't have a lot of patience. Three days has passed since he died. He's risen from the grave. He's conquered death. And now he is reunited with his disciples, hence why there's 11 disciples instead of 12, because Judas is no longer in the mix. That kind of happens after you betray someone where they get crucified. Now Jesus is about to ascend back into heaven. He's about to return to the Father. His time on earth is done. I don't know about you, but in my world, that's a moment. He looks at the disciples, and he begins to talk to the disciples. I got a pretty short attention span. I'm pretty ADD, if you will. But I believe even me, who can see a squirrel and just run off at any second, if I'm in this situation at this time and Jesus is doing his thing, and I know he's a, first of all, he was dead a few days ago. Now he's standing in front of me. I'm probably going to be listening. Man, y'all look a lot better like this. Man. I imagine I'm going to be listening to what he has to say. And when he begins to speak, I would imagine that what he has to say is important. And he says, go into all the world and make disciples. He said, I'm leaving you here. The way to heaven has been created. I died for the sins of the world. And now I'm leaving you 11 men, the 11 people, to go out and carry out that message to the world. Over 2,000 years later, we're here because of that message. I think those 11 people did their job. But what if those 11 people treated that mission like we treat it? What if those 11 people treated that responsibility like you and I treat it? I'm not trying to be a jerk here today. I'm not trying to be arrogant today. I'm not trying to be an a-hole today. I'm not trying to guilt you. I am not a guilt-driven pastor. I am not a guilt-driven preacher. But I think it's a shame that probably in Canton, Georgia today, I would say, well, the stats say about 27% of the people who attend live in this city or in church today. And yet 70-something percent of the people want nothing to do with Jesus. So 20% of this area, that's about 20,000 people, are in church, they're active, and they're calling themselves Christ followers. And we can't change a city for Jesus, but 11 people change the world. We don't take the responsibility serious. We don't grasp the significance of the aha moment of what Jesus said here. See, we need to understand something. There's a mandate here. 
This is not a suggestion. This is not God saying, hey, this would be a good idea. This is not God saying, hey, if you get bored. This is not God saying, hey, man, if you got nothing better to do and the stars are lining, man, the wife and you are getting along and the kids are being good and the job's going good and everything's perfect and everything's hunky-dory and the sun's shining and you're on the mountaintop and everything's wonderful, maybe, possibly, if you could fit this in, do it. It's a mandate. He says, therefore, go. How many of you have kids? When you tell your kids to go clean their room, are you suggesting that they go clean their room? Are you asking them to go clean their room? Or are you telling them to go clean their room? It's not open for a debate. We're not going to discuss it. I don't care what your opinion is on the matter. There's some issues when it comes to my kid, I'm open to their opinion. I'm open to their thoughts. And then there's other things that it's just go and do what I tell you to do. Why? Because I'm the parent and I know what's best. And even if I don't know what's best, I'm the parent. Go do it. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Now, here's what's so amazing about that word, go. Where's Big John at? Did Big John ever make it in today? Big John. Big John, what kind of teacher were you? Like, what did you teach? Where's he at? John, what did you teach? History. Never mind. I thought you might have taught English and you could help me here. Yet again, let me down. History. Now, I'm just kidding. I love John. I love picking on him. He said, go. I, I think that's an action verb. Boom! The Kula High School class of 94 education in full effect today, baby. <laughs> it's a word that means you've got to do something. You can't go and sit still. You can't go and do nothing. You can't go while you're sitting on your blessed assurance every Sunday morning acting like a sponge, sucking everything up but returning nothing. The word go means to take action. The word make. Is that an action word too? Because you've got to make something. I don't know how to make nothing. You use your hands and you make. Go and make disciples. We have a mandate to go. It's a word of action. Don't miss this. And this is going to shock some of you. It doesn't say, come and see. It says, go and tell. Now, let me make this very clear to you. We call Action Church, church for those that don't do church. Everything we do around here, we do it where if an unchurched person walked through those doors, they would understand what's going on, they would grasp what's going on, we make sure it's music they can relate to, and I make sure I teach in a way where even if they're an atheist and don't believe in God, they at least leave saying, man, I understood that message. So don't miss that. We do everything we do where unchurched people can feel comfortable. This is what's going to shock you because you've probably never heard me say this before. But we do not do church for unchurched people. We do church for the believers to gather together and worship together, to celebrate together, to hear the tea. People ask me all the time, why don't you do altar calls and why don't you preach the salvation message more on Sunday mornings? 
I believe this is a time that the saints gather together and they grow and they learn in their faith where we can then go and tell the world about Jesus. Now, I don't ever want an unsaved person, a non-believer, to ever walk in these doors and feel uncomfortable. But the gathering is not for them. It's for those that are already convinced that Christ is the way. So it's not come and see. It's go and tell. This is where we come together. This is kind of like our pit stop in the NASCAR race. We come in here and we get our tires changed. We come in here and get refueled. We come in here and get re-energized. After being in a non-believing world, it can beat you down and it can wear you out. And I don't know about you, but out every seven days I need a recharge. I always love what Kylie Blankenship says. He says, whenever he misses church, something's off about his week. I, I like that we can go about, Eileen, don't be a man because you've been missing a lot of church lately. Okay? So you must, that, that would explain why you've been so off lately. So, but about every seven days, you got to regroup and recharge and get ready so we can go and tell. Now, we have a mandate to do that. We have a responsibility to do that. It happens when we go out into the world. And, and I, again, this is where the church, I think, screws things up a lot. So let me tell you a little bit about my backstory. So I didn't grow up in church. My parents got involved in church right about my senior year. I went, we went, they went to a very large, it's called a mega church. So I could drive at that time. So what I would do is I would walk in the front doors of the church, make sure people saw me. Then I would walk out the back door, and I, we had, I lived in Decula, Georgia. We had a Dairy Queen, we had a Waffle House, and I'd go eat at the Waffle House every Sunday morning. My parents thought I was at church, I wasn't at church, so I didn't grow up in church. Right about 20, right before I turned 21, I gave my life to Christ, and um, it changed my life in a radically crazy way. But I gave my life to Christ in a radically crazy church. I'm just going to be honest with you. They were good-hearted people, but they were nuts. Like nuts. Like they thought there was only one version of the Bible, the King James Version of the Bible. And like they would literally say this. If it was good enough for Paul, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. It's good enough for me. It wasn't good enough for Paul. There was no King James Version of the Bible when Paul, the King James Version of the Bible was written in 1611. 1600 years after Paul. Paul wrote the Bible in Greek. It's good enough for Paul. It was good enough for me. And, and like they were just crazy. Like you couldn't go to movies. Young people, I know you don't know what this is, but you could go to Blockbuster and rent a movie. I never could figure that out because people might not know what you were seeing at the movie theater and they might judge you. And women couldn't wear pants. They didn't come naked. I mean, they had to wear dresses. You know what I mean? And you couldn't wear shorts. I don't know if anybody even knows what I'm talking about. Does anybody know what culottes are? Anybody. So all the women could wear culottes. Culottes are the most, they're designed, and I don't want to be like, oh, women got to look, physically attractive, but they, they were designed to make women as, oh man, it's so impolitically correct in this day and time, as ugly as they could be. They were horrible, like horrible. They were these big shorts that just went straight out, and they came down, and they were just horrible. They were horrible, and like, it was just a crazy church, and then they had, the, like, they, they had this rule. I'm telling you, this was the rule in the church. Contemporary music was wrong. A lot of churches have that rule. 
But they had a timeline on what made something contemporary. We weren't allowed to sing songs that weren't 25 years old. That was their rule. Like, I don't know, like it was spirit. Like, they were nuts. They were nuts. And, and I mean, they loved Jesus and they loved, but they had this, so they, they had a Bible college. So I went to the Bible college. And then the Bible college, they taught us to tell people how to share our faith. And I believe everybody ought to know how to share their faith. And I'm going to talk about that in the coming weeks, how we share our faith. But then they taught us sales tactics on how to share our faith. And in Bible college, we had a quota every week on how many people you led to Jesus. And what they really meant by saying lead them to Jesus was you got them to say a prayer. I can sell ice to an Eskimo. Boy, I broke that. You had to do it five weeks. I was doing 15, 20 a week. Cold calling. Bam, bam, bam. How you doing? I'm Gary Lamb from such and such Bible college. Hey, I know you're right in the middle of dinner, man. You're probably spending time with your family, and you've worked all day, and you're wore out, and you're exhausted. So, man, if you just give me a real quick second, I'll get out of your way. Well, man, they're, they're exhausted, and they're eating, and they're going to get out of your way, so they're going to do whatever you tell them to do. I said, and then this is my line right here. I said, let me ask you a question, man. I didn't say this, but this was, I know I don't know you, and we have no relationship, and I'm just some crazy person at your door. And this almost sounds crazy. I'm not a serial killer. This is what would always go through my head. If you were to die today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? Or would there be some doubt? Everybody would be like, oh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm 100% sure. But are you sure? Well, yeah, I'm a believer. That's awesome, man. Tell me, tell me the day you gave your life to Christ. I don't know the day I gave my life to Christ. I remember the church service, but I don't remember the day. I don't know if I remember the day. So you got some doubts. I'm a closer, baby. Close that deal. So you know the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We can say a prayer right now, and you'll be saved. I want you to just repeat after me. I wouldn't even ask them if they want to say it. Just want you to repeat after me. And, and they do it. Man, a beast. And now I look back and think, how many people think they're going to heaven because I got them to say a prayer on their front porch and that has nothing to do with going to heaven. That's how crazy these people were. And you don't really see that in the Bible. What's amazing about this book is it's all about relationships. So the way we go out and live out the gospel and tell the world is we just go out and live. There's something amazing to an unbelieving world to see believers operate in an amazing way. I am the biggest opponent of Christian businesses. We're a Christian restaurant. Why can't we just be Christians who own a restaurant? Example, I put on barbecue and craft beer festivals. So, yesterday we had a festival. The city required wristbands and that every single person got ID'd. When you have seven to 8,000 people and five girls serving beer, that's a lot of work to make sure everybody gets ID'd when the lines are 30 and 35 minutes long. It'd been real easy when you walk up to someone and it's obvious, I'm not even... They're 50 years old. They're 60 years old. Seven years not to ask for their ID. The girls couldn't keep up. Let me, I don't mean this in every way. I own the company. 
I should just get to walk around and do nothing. I own the company. But there was a need, so for eight hours I ID'd people. At the end of the night, one of the police officers pulled me on and said, can I tell you something? I never met this guy. I said, sure, man, what is it? He goes, we have festivals down here all the time. I've never seen anybody take IDing people so serious. We appreciate that. I said, you told me we needed to do it. He said, well, we tell them all they need to do, and all they see is dollar signs. I said, I see dollar signs too. I, the house notes do. I said, but you told me to do something. We talked for a few minutes, talked for a few minutes. I said, well, man, I got to get out of here. I've got an early morning. He said, man, I bet you're going to rest all day tomorrow, aren't you? I said, no. I said, I pastor a church. I said, I got to preach somewhere. I said, then I got a wedding at 2 o'clock. He said, man, you pastor a church? He said, what church do you pastor? And I sat there and talked to him for about 20 minutes. He said, man, I'd like to come check out your church one day. Don't miss this. I guess God knew I was preaching. He said, I've never met a Christian like you. I can relate to that. Now, here's the We weren't putting on a Christian festival, but I was operating my business with Christian values and Christian morals and just living, and it was unbelieving to him. He hadn't been around people that had seen there's something different. We're called to be separated people. When we go into society and we operate with integrity and we operate honestly and we worry about our reputation and we operate with our character, guess what happens? The unbelieving world sees it. They see something different. They want to know. I believe that police officer is going to walk in these doors one day and he's going to give his life to Christ because a seed was sown that day because we followed the mandate of going and living like Christ. Now, I could have put closer gear and said, hey, let me ask you a question. <laughs> but I didn't. There's a mandate to go. And here's the amazing thing. The mandate's easy when you understand the message. The message Matthew 28, 20 says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We have a mandate to go and to teach. We have a mandate. And here's the problem again with the church world. We think our mandate is to go and teach this deep theological studies. And I love theology. No, I think our mandate is to go out and teach them how to operate with integrity. How to do what you say you're going to do. How to be honest on a job. How not to rip somebody off. I used to own a roofing company that did insurance adjusting. And can I tell you, I knew nothing about roofing. I made more money than I ever made in my life. And to this day, I know nothing about roofing. I had a partner who knew about roofing. I just sold the roofs. Can I tell you that in the city of Rome, I and I don't, I'm not joking when I say this. In 18 months, I probably did over, not in my pocket, I'm talking about in business, I did over $3 million in roofs. Of those $3 million, I would be willing to bet that 70% of the jobs I got, you know how I got them? I just showed up. I would show up and people would be like, you're the fifth company we've called and you're the first one to keep his appointment. You're the first person not to cancel on me. You're the first person. So in roofing, the big scam is, man, we'll pay your deductible. That's illegal. First year bubble, if you had a roofer pay your deductible, that's cool. It's illegal. It's called insurance fraud. So they would look at me and be like, hey, the so-and-so said they'd pay my deductible. I said, yeah, that's good for them. I can't do that. That's illegal. You have a deductible for a reason. 
You know how many times people would look at me? I would say nine times ten, they'd be like, man, I didn't know that, thank you. Man, you kept me out of trouble. And, and you know what's funny? About six months later, insurance commission came through Rome and started filing charges against all kinds of people. They didn't look at me for it. They appreciated that I was honest with them. Teaching them to observe all things. People are watching you. And they're learning from you. If you have kids, you know this. Man, your kids learn more from watching you than they do what you tell them. They watch how you walk. They watch how you talk. They wa- hey, they watch how you treat your wife. They watch how you treat your husband. They watch how you operate in business. We have a message, and that message is this. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the difference. When you're walking in the Spirit, and you're walking in integrity, and you're walking to make Jesus first, the world will notice that. And we have a responsibility to tell the unbelieving world about a Savior who loves them. We have a mandate to do that. And we have the greatest message ever. Anybody out there in sales? Anybody in sales? Anybody? 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 Well, two of you. Okay. You sell things a whole lot better when you believe in them, don't you? I sold some things. I was like, oh, okay, this is what I got to do. I <laughs> sold I had a lot of weird jobs. When I was about 19, I met this lady who did air purifiers. I don't even know what air purifier does to this day. And she convinced me to sell air purifiers. And I hated it. I despised it. I made a lot of money doing it. But I hated it. I would get off every day. Anybody ever had a job where you get off every day and you can't even enjoy the rest of your day because you know you got to go back to the job tomorrow? Hated it. I didn't believe in air purifiers. And I guess the air needs to be purified. I don't know. I feel like I radiate air purifiers and awesomeness, and that just purifies the air. I didn't believe in it. But, but you know what's funny? And this sounds really stupid. I know it sounds stupid. When I did roofing, I, I believed in it. Because I saw people that their biggest investment in their life, their home, that's the large majority of people's biggest investment they'll ever make. And the biggest investment on your biggest investment is your roof. And I would see their homes being destroyed. And, and people had put so much in their homes and it was being destroyed because they didn't know how to... Like, I believed... You literally have damage. I want to help you get this fixed. I want to take that stress away from you. The good news is we have a message if you're a child of God that you believe in today. If you have, you're a child of God and you don't believe that message, then I question whether you're a child of God because I remember what I was before Christ came in my life. I remember what my marriage is like when Christ isn't in the middle of it. I remember what my parenting is like when Christ is not in the middle of it. I remember how my businesses operate when Christ isn't in the middle of it. Listen, you're looking at someone today who's smoking what he's selling. I realize I have been radically changed by the grace of God, and I believe in the message. I'm not telling you this for a paycheck. I'm telling it to you because I believe it with everything that is in me. Your question, Jesus, is the answer. Here, I got a question for you, Jesus. We didn't hear the question. It don't matter. Jesus is the answer. Well, I was just wondering where to go eat. Jesus is the answer, Chick-fil-A. It's always Jesus. Man, the message. The message. In the mission, we have a mission. Therefore, go and make disciples. Here's the deal, though, with building a relationship. There has to come a time 
and I hate to put it back in sales terms, but there has to come a time you can build that relationship with someone forever. You can work in their life. But there has to come a time where eventually you capitalize on the open door to express your faith to them and let them know, man, the reason you're struggling so bad is because you don't have a relationship with Christ. And the most powerful way to do that is through our story. You know something you have that no one else has? Your story. Next week, we're going to be looking at Paul. I, you know, I talk about Paul time. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Did you know before Paul was Paul, his name was Saul? And God radically changed his life. We're going to be looking at the conversion of Paul. And we're going to look at his story. And I'm going to show you some principles from that, how you can learn how to communicate your story. The most powerful thing you have is your story. That's why you can reach people that I'll never reach. Because there's times people will come along and they're going through something. I'm like, man, I don't understand that. I don't relate to that. But you know what? Someone has been through that. You know what? I get it. Man, there's so many times people come to me like, man, I'd love to meet with you and talk. I say, man, what are you dealing with? Blah, blah. I say, you know, you'd be a lot better to meet with my wife. You'd be a lot better to meet with Scott Farley. You'd be a lot better to meet with Jeff. Well, I never get to that point where I say Jeff Walden, but I'm just saying. You know, my point is, I'm just kidding. The point is, our stories make us who we are. There's been times Rhonda's been able to come along and minister to my wife in areas that I can't minister to her in life because she's been there, done that, got the scars to prove it. Our stories make us. A lot of times our stories, we don't understand why we're going through the message because God's going to let it be our biggest ministry. Ken, stand up, Ken. Stand up. Ken, when did you get married? How many months ago? October 7th. And a month ago, the doctors told you you have how long to live? About a year and a half. That's what they told you. We ain't buying it, but that's what they told you, right? Not long. Met the love of your life. Crazy Rhonda. Who else? I mean, only, only you could put up with her. I've been pastoring that woman for years, praying that God would send her a good man. You can sit down, buddy. Make sure you guys are praying for Ken. They get married. God gives them a year and a half. I go visit them in the hospital. You know if I visit you in the hospital, it's bad. Because I don't do hospitals. I leave, I'm, dre- I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm dreading it the whole way. Traffic's horrible. It took me t- almost two hours to get to Kennestone. I'm on the phone crying. You know I don't like hospitals. It's going to be depressing. I said, Rhonda's going to be crying. It's going to get me all upset because I like Rhonda. And I just ain't going to be down. Oh, I was mad. And I walked in and they're laughing and cutting up. And he ministered to me. That day. I'm watching his Facebook post, and, he's, and we're believing it's going to be longer than a year and a half. But I don't understand why God does that type of stuff. But, I, I, man, I, I pray that I'm not overstepping bounds. But through that, him and his daughter have been able to reconcile, and he got to spend time with his daughter. And Rhonda was telling me, so many doors have opened up. See, sometimes our mess, we don't understand the mess, but it leads to the ministry that we get to do. And I believe a lot of people are going to be led to Jesus through his witness through that time. That's the power of the mission and the story. You've got to embrace your story. It's yours. You can't go back in a time machine. I got an event coming up. It's an 80s event. We got a DeLorean that's going to be out there. It's going to be awesome. But guess what? As cool as that DeLorean is, young people, a DeLorean is an old car that was used in a movie called Back to the Future, and it was a time machine, okay? Had a flux capacitor. Go, go watch it. 
But here's the as excited I am about that DeLorean being out there, it, it, it really won't take us back in time. Can't go back and change it. So you can fight your past, or you can embrace your past for the mission that God's given us. You're going to win people to Jesus that I'll never be able to win. We're left on this earth to win people to Jesus. It's the only thing on earth besides sinning that we can't do in heaven. You can worship God in heaven. You'll be reunited with family in heaven. There's community in heaven. There's celebration in heaven. But once we get to heaven, it's too late. There's a story in Luke, I think, uh, Luke 15, Luke, uh, Luke 14, 15, 16, somewhere around there. Well, I don't know why my eyes going to blank. Guy goes to hell. And he looks up and says, can, you, can I just go back one time to my brothers and sisters and tell them hell's a real place? And they're like, no, you can't. There's a gulf fixed between us. Once we get to heaven, it's too late. We won't be able to tell people about Jesus. We have a mission. And this is the illustration. I have used this illustration here before. But if on September 10th, someone had told you, tomorrow, people are going to fly into the Twin Towers and thousands of people are going to die. And you knew that you knew that you knew that you knew that you knew it was going to happen. September 11th, between September 10th and September 11th, you would have done whatever it took to get to New York City. If you're in your right mind, you would have. If you have an ounce of heart, you would have. You wouldn't have cared if they thought you were crazy. You wouldn't have cared if they thought you were nuts. You'd have done whatever it took to keep people from going inside those buildings that day. If you had to start a riot, if you had to get there before anybody else and set the buildings on fire, that way people never walked into the building, and it meant the rest of your life you'd be spent in jail, I don't know anybody that wouldn't have done that. We're surrounded by people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's going to come a day they take their last breath and they're going to stand before God and their works aren't going to get them into heaven. But he was a good man. Our works don't get us into heaven. How much money they gave to the church. I wish money got you into heaven. I'm a good sales guy. I'd lay it on thick every Sunday. Every time we took an offer, I'd be like, now listen, I know you broke this week, but I know you spent $10 at Captain D's. I want you to go past that 10 today, and I want you to go to that 20. And I want you to go, because remember, the more money you give, you're going to get into heaven, and we need to pay the bills. Son, I, we, I triple my offerings every week. But our money don't get us into heaven. Good news for you is your church affiliation don't get you into heaven either, so y'all are all safe. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ. How shall they hear, Romans 10, right around 14, 15, how shall they hear without a preacher? And that word preacher doesn't mean preacher like this. It means how shall they hear without somebody telling them? We have a mission. I'm not saying we shove it down their throat, but I'm saying we build a relationship. People... Don't care what you know until they know that you care. 
There's going to come a time in your life and the people you're building relationships with, and I don't know where it is. That's why it's so key to be in tune with the Holy Spirit of God. There's going to be a time when God's like, now's the opportunity. But what if they reject it? Then you keep loving them. You keep praying for them. And you keep waiting for the next opportunity. I led a guy to the Lord in Iowa when I pastored in Iowa that I met my first day in Iowa. I loved that dude. I built relationships with that dude. He was angry and bitter and had just got divorced. And two weeks before I left Iowa, five years later, I had the honor of finally leading him to Jesus. Do you know how many times I tried to tell him about Jesus over the years? Every time the door opened. But I didn't give up. <laughs> and aren't you glad someone didn't give up on you? Holy smokes. The mission. Now, now here's the good news. And man, Johnny Hunt would be proud of this message. They all start with the same letter. The mentor. The mentor. I gotta find a new pastor to always call out. Johnny's not even at First Baptist anymore. I love Johnny because he always starts with a, his points always start with the same letter, they rhyme. That's a gifting because I can't do that, but this one just worked that way. The mentor. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here's what you need to realize as we're carrying out this responsibility, as we're going and sharing our faith, as we're living separated lifestyles, something different where people say there's something different. We walk in his presence. He says, I am with you always. I'm with you always. There's nothing you go into that he's not in the middle of. When you feel like it's dark and there's no one there, he's there. We walk in his presence and we walk in his power. When you're in tune with the Holy Spirit of God and God's coursing through your veins, man, and you're just in tune, and there's times we're in tune with God, and you know what I'm talking about. I mean, there's times I'm just like, bam, I'm right on with God. And there's times, man, I'm praying and it hits that drop ceiling and just bounces back down. And normally it's not, let me rephrase that, not normally. Always. That's to do with me and not him. But when we go out and we share our faith, we're doing it with the power of God in our lives. The same power that drew us to him is drawing. He says, if the Son of Man be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. You can lift the Son of God up without shoving Jesus down people's throat. That doesn't mean everybody you meet. At the I was at the public the other day, and the guy in front of me, 20 people in line. That's an exaggeration. There was five people in line. He talked so long it felt like 20. Young girl there, she's probably 16, 17 years old. She's ringing. He said, you go to church anywhere? She said, no, sir. I go to such and such church. You ought to come. Okay. Do you know Jesus? I'm like, oh, here we go. Man, I got to get home. My chicken wings are getting cold. And he went on for 10 minutes. You said, well, that's good of him. It wasn't good of him because here's why. It turned that girl off from God. You could see it all over her face. She was embarrassed. She felt awkward. And it made everybody in line angry. Everybody in that line wouldn't go to that church. He hadn't earned the right to do that. He hadn't built the relationship to do that. The door wasn't open to do that. I, I don't know the guy, so I'm not saying. But he was operating in the flesh. Very much in the flesh. You say, that's a hard thing. So you're, I'm not judging him. I was there. I saw it. 
He was doing something out of duty because he had a preacher, because I know his preacher, because his preacher used to be my professor in Bible college. His pastor walked out of Bojangles three months ago when I walked in. I know him real well. Every time he sees me, he starts to choke and look like he's about to have a heart attack because I scare him to death. <laughs> he told me about 10 years ago, he said, I just don't understand what happened to you. I said, what do you mean? I just remember you in Bible college. And remember, I went to a crazy Bible college. I said, yeah, I got saved. <laughs> he didn't have a sense of humor either. And um, but I, I know, I, I know his pastor. His pastors guilted him and scared him, and, and, and they're preaching fire insurance instead of relationship with Christ. And he thought he left there feeling like he had accomplished his duty that day, and he turned people off. That girl might not ever go to church, because here's the deal, and I'm going to sum it up right here. There's two reasons people don't go to have a relationship with Christ. Two. One, they've never met a Christian. They've never met someone who's truly in love with Christ. Who's living out the gospel in every aspect of their life, in their marriage, in their business, in their finances, in their athletic, whatever it is they're involved in, they've never met a Christian. Or two, they've met a Christian. And they've seen how they act. And they've seen the hypocrisy. And they've seen that they use the name of Jesus, but they live no different, and they want nothing to do with anything that that Jesus is. We have a responsibility, and people are watching you, and literally, eternity hangs in the balance. The Bible says their blood will be on our hands for all the people we come in contact with that we didn't take the opportunity to create that relationship to present the gospel to them. And again, this ain't a message I preach a lot because it, 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 it takes me back to horror stories of when I was in Bible college. But there was truth in it. We're to go and tell, and we have a responsibility. And here's what's going on in your mind right now. Right now, you're thinking of the one person in your life that you know God put them in your life for you to tell them about Jesus. You know. You've always knew they were there and you avoided it. But today you're like, man, that's why that person's in my life. I'm supposed to tell them about Jesus. How do I do that? You share your story and we'll talk about that next week.